You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud only on 640 Toronto. I, I want my kid back in school, but I got to say, I'm feeling um, a little nervous. Also, I think like a lot of parents and students and others out there, uh, that there isn't going to be the testing and reporting. And it's also pretty clear the government uh, just doesn't seem that ready uh, to be able to sort of convince parents, I think, like me and like others, that, that schools are actually uh, not going to become sources uh, of outbreaks. And welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. This is Yona Bud. I am your host for this evening on the road to recovery. Get on the bus here. Keep your hands in. Don't stick your thing, fingers out the window. And uh, no drinking or eating while sitting on the bus. Just kidding. You can have whatever you want. If there's something on the show that we're talking about that catches your attention or if I call you to action and say, hey, give us a call, please do so at 416-870-6400 or 888-225-8255. We're just sitting here waiting to have you give us a call. got Sophia, got Natasha, got Corey, got the whole team ready to rumble uh, on this 15th day of January. Freezing cold out there. I know it was really sunny today. It looked like it was kind of deceiving, right? Like, come on out. It's really sunny and warm. Come on. And then you get out there. It's like, OMG, I can't believe how cold it is. You know what? I've got to tell you something. You know, when you're not busy being concerned about the weather, um, a lot of parents are concerned about whether their kids are going back to school or not. And, you know, you heard the clip on the outset of the show, the beginning of the show. Um, and, you know, we're kind of where we're at is there's a lot of parents that are really happy their kids are going back to school because, frankly, we all know, finally, everyone's waking up to the fact after a year and a half of people like me and my colleagues and experts in the field, psychiatrists, psychologists, emergency room doctors, family doctors, all the experts that are there that can deal with kids and what they need, all saying, send them back. Send them back. So finally, the chant is being heard, and the kids are going back to school on Monday. And I couldn't be happier for every kid that's going back to school that really wants to go, because most of them really want to go, and for the parents, because we all know that's where they belong, right? With all of their cohorts, with their buddies, they're able to do do and say and, and conduct themselves in stupid ways like teenagers and young kids are supposed to do. That's how they grow up, and absolutely give them an opportunity to be kids. And that's what we've robbed them from, or robbed them of, excuse me, uh, over the last period of time here. So what we're talking about here is this mixed feeling from parents. You know, one mother uh, in Mississauga, her name is Alexa, says she's nervous about sending her teens at 16, 15, and 13 back to school, giving the surge of COVID-19. Now, we're all hearing that the Omicron being what it is, if you're you know healthy and you're not immune compromised and you're not senior and you don't have other, other things going on, other medical conditions, this Omicron is like a bad flu. At worst, it's like a bad flu. She says, I'm terrified, but at the same time, I do understand the benefits, especially from a mental health perspective. Hello? You've got to do this, man. There's not even a discussion. Um, but she's a little terrified of what's going to happen. Um, Premier Ford's warning of a tsunami of COVID-19 cases said kids would learn online until uh, at least January 17th. Highly dramatic. So really what the school board wanted and what the government wanted, and you know, good on them for waking up and realizing they needed it, they were buying time. Buying time to distribute masks and put more HEPA filter systems in. And at least on the outside, look like they're doing something. 
So I'm happy the kids are going back. HEPA filters, no HEPA filters. They're going to be just fine. Uh, it's uncertain when and how many rapid and lab-based PCR-type testing is going to be available in the schools. They sent home a whole bunch before the holidays, five packs to pretty much every kid in school. And here we are, right? So everybody's getting ready to go back. They're all ready academically, absolutely. Everything's in place according to Sydney, uh, Kathy Abraham. She's the president of the Ontario Public School Boards Association. We have got time to be ready, and we've, uh, like we said all along, we want the kids back in school. We do everything we can to keep them safe. A pediatrician in Toronto, Dr. Anna Benerji, says, um, she's also a University of Toronto professor, uh, says that uh, the province is balancing two different risks, the risks of kids getting COVID and the risks of, of kids being online for a longer period of time. I don't think there's a question of balancing risk. I think we're finding that more kids are messed up mentally, emotionally, and psychologically than they are physically. We've got two years, almost two years under our belts, my friends. And I'm talking to anybody who's governmental or is on a board of some sort or is involved in schooling, a parent that's hesitant, send them back. It's where they go, right? It's where they go. So that's exactly that, um, you know, that's exactly where we need to be, right? We need to have our kids back in school. We need to be able to focus on our jobs. And I think that uh, the solution for us is to um, move forward. And if our kid gets sick, then you take care of a sick kid. They're not going to end up in hospital, unlikely, unless your kid has specific needs and has, you know, asthma or other, you know, diseases or other conditions that might, you know, prevent them from, you know, maybe fighting off this, you know, no more worse than a flu kind of uh, virus. However, you know, if that's the case, just keep, you know, that's a kid you can make special arrangements for. But the other 99.5% of the kids that are in school, are likely not going to be uh, are not going to be affected in the same way, so there will be COVID in schools. Everybody knows it, right? And the unvaccinated kids are the ones that are going to be at risk. So if there's parents that are concerned about their kids going back to school, buy them a good mask system, right? There's a HEPA, not HEPA. There are the N95 type mask systems. They can, you know, use them. You can change the filters, so on and so forth. You can get them so they're comfortable for their face. There's small ones, big ones, large ones, everything in between, right? And make sure your kids are healthy and they're washing their hands like you would any other time of the year, save and accept the masks, because normally you'd send your kids to school. And if there's kids sneezing and coughing, you've washed your hands, you should be okay. This is a little bit different. 47% of kids 5 to 11 have received at least one shot, right? So we're not so much concerned about the unvaccinated as uh, we, we should be, perhaps. Uh, but we uh, we got to be concerned about the kids that are in school and need to be in school that are, in fact, vaccinated, right? So the unvaccinated ones need to be real careful. The vaccinated ones need to be in school. And that's what I have to say about that. Children belong with children. They don't belong in your living room on the on the table with a, with a laptop and mom trying to do a Zoom meeting in the other room with her boss and, you know, dad in the basement or the garage or the shed. I know people that are working out of their sheds. It's like, you know what? So good, good that they're going back, hang in there, make sure your kids are healthy. Lots of hot soup, uh, lots of good nutritious meals, maybe a little extra on the vita on the Flintstone vitamins or whatever they're chewing these days. And I think we're going to be fine. And more importantly, they're not going to want to jump out of a window. And that's where kids are at these days. They just have had enough. They've had enough not being able to see their buddies, their friends, you know, their little romances and all that. Hard to be romantic over Zoom when you're uh, 15 years old. 
At least that's what I'm told. Anyway, when we come back, we're going to talk about schools being considered uh, essential service. And, and if so, why would we even consider closing them no sooner than you'd close a hospital? We'll be right back. Yonabud, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yonabud on 640 Toronto. We believe so strongly that children need to be in school that they are essential to the mental and physical health of a child and to their academic success. Now, Ontario's plan to open and protect schools is focused on deploying millions of rapid tests to our schools and our childcare centres, enhancing ventilation and high-quality PP, along with increasing access to vaccines for both children on a voluntary basis and staff. Well, it's about time, and uh, thank you, Minister Lecce, for waking up. Don't know where you've been for quite some time. Apparently, you've been gone for a while. Uh, but, you know, we're really talking here about the essential service that a school provides. And I believe that it doesn't provide any less an essential service than a mental health ward, psychiatric ward, or eating disorders ward in any hospital, emergency room in any hospital, a crisis center in any hospital. I don't believe that children can be used in such a way, played in such a way that we can decide when and how we engage them in what is normal socialized activity and regular scheduled schooling and education and taking it away, adding to it, taking away and adding to it, um, giving it back, taking it away and so on, uh, virtual, not virtual. And, and now to discuss whether a school is an essential service or not, it's hard to believe children in our community are in the care of parents who are struggling with their own mental health and trauma then further amplified with the pandemic. So associated social isolation, isolation and loss of their employment, intimate partner violence is up, addictions is up, homelessness is up. Schools are where they need to be. They provide nutritious meals, respite, structure, a place where they can be challenged, they can challenge themselves and have a chance to feel safe. Health and safety in the community. Schooling is essential to any community. Joining me this evening is Sarah Vance. She's a high school teacher in Toronto, as well as a member of the Ontario Education Workers United. Sarah, welcome to the show, and Happy New Year. Hi, thanks for having me. That's a pleasure. So, um, schools, essential or not? Yeah, I, I think really essential in all sorts of different ways, mental health ways, academic ways, and you know the social and emotional development of young people in this province. I think it's so, so important. And we understand that more than ever two years into a pandemic. So as a member of an organization like uh, Ontario Educational Workers United, it's a, obviously a, an active uh, group of people who, who care about what's going on in the educational system. You know, I'm just a simple, one simple guy who's a therapist. I deal with kids in crisis. I'm a broadcaster. I get to share these kind of stories. I'm like ripping my hair out, ready to scream and yell at the top of my building I can only imagine that you and your and your colleagues just might be just biting your fingernails and screaming at the top of your lungs for months and months now to say, you know, let the, let my people go, so to speak, and let the children come back to school. How has that been? Uh, it has been absolutely maddening, and it's really maddening also because in the midst of it all, politicians, the Ontario government is not talking to and listening to the voices of people who are in schools every day, whether that's, you know, the students who are in schools, education workers are talking enough to families about what's going on. So it's really, 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 really frustrating. And it's incredibly frustrating because it's great that schools are reopening, but 
they're being reopened in such a way that they're set up to fail again. We're being set up to flip-flop again. And it's just going to be incredibly difficult for students to keep on doing this back and forth and back and forth situation because it feels like the government is playing politics instead of making sound decisions. What do you mean by flip-flop? Can you describe what you mean by the fact that you think we're going to be open and closed, open and closed? Well, I think because, you know, we heard the the Lecce clip just before I came on, but a lot of what he's saying, which has unfortunately been the case for a long time, is not actually true. So, for example, the rapid testing. So we don't have access to rapid testing. In high schools in Ontario, we are being told that we will have access to a total of two rapid tests only if we show symptoms while we're at school. We don't have any rapid testing. And so what that means actually is that every single time we have any symptoms, so imagine a a lot of education workers, we're also parents, we have kids that are also probably in school, in daycare, et cetera. So if they're out of school, oftentimes we, we would have to be out of school anyways. And if we are experiencing symptoms or have COVID-19 or anyone in the household has COVID-19, we have to take, we have to be off for a minimum of five days because we don't have access to rapid tests. So you can imagine it's going to be an extraordinary crisis because Omicron is spreading so quickly and because um, you could have symptoms at any point point in time. I mean, it's the middle of January. Um, Yeah, every kid has a runny nose and every every kid has a runny nose, right? If I had a rapid test, I could test at night and say, oh, thank goodness, you know, these symptoms are just, it's just a regular cold, nothing to worry about. I'll be back in school tomorrow. But I can't do that. So every time that happens, each education worker has to be off for five days. And so you can imagine that that's going to create an incredible amount of instability. And also because of the way that the plan is set up, there's nothing has been done about issues like congregating at lunch. There's no meaningful cohorting. The kids don't have the masking that they need to have access to. So we know that people need N95s at this point in large settings. And I'm really worried because we're putting people back into this situation. In the high school, for example, There's nowhere to go at lunch. So at lunch, we've got 600, 700, 1,000 people eating indoors, taking their masks off. And so Omicron is just set up to spread like wildfire. And that's going to result in, at a bare minimum, classes being open and closed, kids being on and off, their own teachers being on and off of work consistently, and likely schools closing down again. So have you I, have you seen? Yeah, go ahead. I'm worried. sorry. You carry on. I'm sorry. You carry on. No, no, no. Go ahead. No, I was going to say. So have you? You know, see. I just we have such limited time, and there's so much I want. I want to yeah. share. I could spend. I could spend the whole evening with you if they let me. Um, but the the you know the. the I guess where we're at is you know kids going to get sick. They're going to go home. Kids, teacher's going to get sick. She's going to go home, or he's going to go home, or they're going to go home. Um, you know, it's no different. I, you know, I got to tell you, I'm, you know, I'm an older guy. I've been around a long time. You, you sound like you've been in the community for a bit and been working for a while. Um, you know, people just got sick at winter. You know, so Betty had the flu and Jamie had a cold. And once in a while, it was a bigger deal and it was bronchitis. And, you know, and we managed, right? Um, now, because of the spread of this thing, you've got so many more people with the same type of symptom. 
Um, and now we're seeing that, like what you're saying is that kids, you know, the, the likelihood that kids are going to get comfortable in their skin, so to speak, being back at school could be threatened, you know, within several weeks notice. You got to, you got to see what I see. Threatened immediately, unfortunately. Right. So the impact that that's having on kids and families, I'm sure you see it directly as a teacher. It's, it's, you know, it's unconstitutional. Like it's just, it's, it's, how do you live with it? Right. It's so horrible. Yeah. What's, What's the solution? If you had the keys to fix this, what would that look like? I would say the solution, because we're in a situation that we have limited control over, right? So we are riding this tide of uncertainty. And so the solution is you do the best that you can do as a government to create it as much safety as possible so that you minimize the amount of unpredictability. Because for young people, that, like you were saying, that constant unpredictability, the flip-flopping, the not knowing what to expect, especially in the time that is already scary and uncertain, that's what we want to avoid. And so what I would say is, if as a government you know and you're being told, here are some things that you need to do in order to make schools safer and in order to make it so it's less likely that you are having to quarantine on an ongoing basis, parents having to miss work, like all the various really, really serious impacts that things have had, then you do that at an absolute bare minimum. So things like give us rapid tests so that I can test and education workers can test and be cleared and we can go back to work and we can offer increased stability, um, offer kids to have higher grades of masking so that they are less, somewhat less likely to get sick and I think at the high school level, one of the things that they could do that they did in September 2020 was that we had a cohorting system for high school yeah. students that was meaningful. So half the kids were in school for half the day. Nobody was in school over lunch. That cut risk very significantly, but it also meant that kids consistently were in schools, saw their peers, interacted with their teachers, had that sort of... Um, stability that they so need, we could have done that again, but the government has opted not to. So instead, we have this massive problem that we don't need to have, which is this extraordinary spread of disease that can happen during the lunch hour period. And, and we keep being told this is we're being set up for failure. So those are big, big things. And then, of course, the choice to decide simply to stop reporting COVID and simply to stop sharing that information, to my mind, is is unconscionable. And it means that, you know, you're, you're not allowing for the control of the spread of Omicron to the best of your abilities. Nobody's saying this isn't easy. There's an easy cure-all at all. But I think what I'm saying is kids have been through so much. Families have been through so much. As the adults in the room, we offer the best that we can. And the best that we can is to give as much security as you can give in, in an unstable situation. So that's, that's what has me pulling my hair out, like you said earlier. Talking to Sarah Vance, uh, she's a high school teacher in Toronto as well as a member of the Ontario Education Workers United. Uh, thank you for joining me tonight. I'd love to have you come back. Uh, good luck on Monday. You got our support. Um, and uh, yeah, I just uh, you and your and your colleagues 
are truly our heroes. I know you've heard that, and it's enough to make you vomit, but you really are, because if our kids don't have a place to go for those breakfast programs and the lunchtime stuff, safe or not, and just a shelter, just a safe place to go where you know maybe mom and dad are beating each other up at home, they got to get out of the house, this is better than the back of a, a, a shopping plaza somewhere. So, um, yeah, good on all of you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, when we come back, we're going to... Uh, Flip the switch a little bit just to add a little bit of uh, levity and some softness here. We're going to talk about Coach Cal. Uh, he's a kid that uh, brought Ellen DeGeneres to her tears. Canadian kid, actually, uh, from just north of Peterborough. Uh, talk about the impact he's having and uh, how a kid becomes like that, right? Anyway, Yona Bud here, 640 Toronto. Welcome back to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. You joked her, you laughed her, you cried her, and you gave her. So when it's time to say goodbye and turn out the lights, just remember that you, Ellen, will always get to W because you have given whatever it takes to be you. So just keep working hard and staying positive and making people laugh because you are a legend. So let's get fired up and go out there and get to W today and every day. Let's go, Ellen! I, I know a lot of fancy people. I know a lot of people, and, and what you just said to me means more to me than what I can possibly convey to you. Well, you got to like a kid like that. Welcome back. This is Jonah Bud here on the Road to Recovery. We're talking about Coach Cal. We were trying to get him on the air with us tonight, but a couple of things. Uh, they wanted a whole bunch of money, and it was past his bedtime. So, uh, Coach Cal, uh, I got to tell you, I saw this. I saw the clip. I heard it a couple of times. Really liked the story. Uh, I'm going to spin it into positive uh, modeling for kids here in a second. But the kid scares me a little bit. He's seven years old, and uh, he had me going rah-rah, and uh, hard to get me to do that. So uh, good on uh, Coach Cal. How does a kid get like that? You know, how does a child learn to have the confidence and to be in a position where they're able to uh, get up in front of a, an audience in front of a locker room full of athletes and, you know, and, and pitch them to the, for a great game and motivate them and so on. That's what this kid do. He, that's what this kid did. Excuse me. He, uh, he did a pep, you know, did a pep, go, a pep talk um, after uh, for some, for one of his hockey teams here, a uh, young hockey fan. Uh, and he did, he, he just lives North of Peterborough and he did this, this um, locker room pitch for this, for the hockey team. And they were so motivated by him that they continued to have them in her life. Anyway, somehow Ellen found out about it, flew him to L.A., and uh, they recorded the segment. How does a kid get like that? I haven't met the parents. This, uh, by the way, the hockey team was the Peterborough Peets of the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, you know, not a, not a nothing team, right? So, I mean, this kid was uh, not in a house league uh, locker room. in some real professional hockey locker room and motivated these guys, and, and, and they – they followed him. <laughs> they followed his motivation. How do you listen to a seven-year-old? Maybe we should do more of that. Maybe we need to listen to our children just a little bit closer. Maybe we need to give them a better opportunity to express themselves. Maybe we need to give them a chance to speak from the top of a podium. Maybe we need to give them a voice. And I think that's what this is a spinoff for me about. It's about giving children a voice, giving young people a voice. When you give them a voice and they're heard, it takes a lot of the strain and the stress away from being a child. 
when you give someone a voice, when you give a child a voice, when you pay attention to them, when they know someone's listening, takes away from the desire to go and hurt yourself. When you teach a child that we, we do care and that what they have to say makes sense, and even if it doesn't, we're listening anyway, it keeps a kid from drugs and alcohol, likely. If you tell them that they're wanted and that what they say has value and that the message they're sharing is impactful and that we love them for their strength, regardless of their successes, then kids are likely to find that love elsewhere in the arms of maybe the wrong people, in the, in the, in the hands of perhaps the wrong influence. It's very important that we listen to our children. It's very important that we give them a chance to speak. It's very important that they learn from us how to speak, how to conduct ourselves, how to share a message, how to display being unhappy with the situation. What does pissed off look like when you're an adult? When you're a child, perhaps it's a rant and a rave, a rant and a rage, excuse me. Maybe as a child it is too. Maybe that's the solution. Everybody goes to the garage and hits the heavy bag. They take turns putting on the gloves, and of course there's gloves for the little ones too. And when you're angry and upset with the world, for whatever reason, you can go outside and punch that heavy bag and then go write your thoughts down on a piece of paper. And then go out and tell the world that the world is a great place to live, and here's why. It's not like Coach Cal was fighting some kind of horrible disease and came out the other side, and that's what motivated him to go out and share his information. I've seen those kinds of kids, and they're remarkable to watch and listen to. It's just some kid up north, Lakefield, Ontario. Just, you know. Thought he could share a message and get people motivated. Loved it. Loves talking to people. He didn't get like that from nothing. He didn't just come from nowhere. I got to believe if I had an opportunity to interview the parents, we would find collectively, you, the audience, and me, the interviewer, that the parents are, in fact, the folks that modeled for this kid in some way, shape, or form, intentionally or unintentionally. But one thing for sure, no one in this child's life has told him he can't speak up. No one in this child's life told him to sit in the corner and shut up and be a good boy and speak when you're spoken to. Children are supposed to be, you know, or speak when they're spoken to. They're supposed to sit and listen, sit on their hands and keep their mouth shut. No, absolutely not. That's, how not. that's not how this game is played. That's not how children end up being healthy. That's not how children end up with a confidence that they can do anything in the world like Coach Cal. Like he says, you got to go out and get the W. And if you do your very best and you do the best you can and you show that you're trying and all of that, you get the W. The win doesn't necessarily mean most points on the board. Sometimes the W comes just from trying. Sometimes the W comes from just getting outside of your comfort zone. Sometimes the W for a child comes from having the opportunity to speak and share their voice and share what they're happy with and what they're unhappy with. Because they'll tell you, my friends, I've been working with children and families in crisis for decades. And I'll tell you, the parents that I talk to, you know, usually there's a sibling or two involved with the one kid that they're pointing to, and this is the kid that causes all the trouble, and he's the one coming back from the police and the schools calling all the time because they're the ones that are you know, openly causing all this trouble. And I ask him, what about the other kids? And then they say, well, yeah, he's got a brother, but he's very quiet. He keeps to himself. He's really no trouble at all. He spends most of his time in his room. You know what I say? That's the kid to worry about. 
The one that's acting out, we can manage, we can deal with, we can help. It's the quiet ones that you have to worry about. Those are the ones you need to pay attention to. The ones that don't come up and say, my life sucks and you guys and I hate you and all of the stuff that they need to vent and say if that's how they're feeling. When kids don't say that, it gets bottled up inside and it doesn't come out in a good place. It's very important that they have the opportunity to get the W. It's very important that they get to be like a Coach Cal at some level. Not everyone's going to be like this kid. But many can, if given the chance. Many will have an opportunity to get in front of a class and give a presentation. That's the chance in grade four when they get a chance to bring their toys to school and present it to their friends. That's the time you start to build a Coach Cal. First opportunity where they have to get in front of an audience and they don't want to, that's where you have to teach them and give them the confidence by letting them try it over and over and over and over again with you. Not by you writing the speech or yelling at them because they don't get it right, but every time they do it, say it's great, but we can do better. And they do it again and you say it's great, but we can do better. And they do it again and you say it's great, but you can do better. And then when they've done it to exhaustion, you say, you know what? You nailed it. It's perfect. You're going to walk in tomorrow and you're going to kill it. That's what kids need to hear. That's how you end up with a coach cow. That's how you end up with a child at seven who has the strength and the confidence and is comfortable enough in their own skin to get in front of a whole bunch of people and tell us we need to go out and get the W. And I'll tell you, when we come back from break here, we're going to talk to such a boy. His name is Wyatt Sharp, and he's a writer, and he's the host of Wyatt, the Wyatt Sharp Show. And uh, this is a kid who spoke out about uh, the government around school closures and so on. We're fortunate to have him on our show as soon as we get back here from break. Yonabud, 640, Toronto. Live, interactive, and here to assist you if you need help. Dealing with addiction, mental health challenges, and more. This is Road to Recovery with your host, Yonabud, only on 640 Toronto. Hey there, and welcome back. Thank you for joining us. This is Yonabud. You are on the Road to Recovery. Here, give us a call 416 870 6400 or 888-225-8255. As I write this, I also know that the pandemic has been unfair to everyone else. People lost their jobs, their businesses, and many faced negative mental health impacts. And just like the frustrations with the school closures, many experts say that the majority of these things could have been preventable. These are the words written by 12 year old Wyatt Sharp, who is my guest this evening. Wyatt, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. My pleasure. Am I what am I keeping you from doing? What would you be doing at uh, 9.45 normally on a Saturday night? Uh, to be honest, not a whole lot. Probably uh, just maybe reading some articles or just watching television. Not a whole lot. Oh, please tell me you play video games or do something like a kid does, right? Uh, not video games. I uh, play, uh, hang out with my friends, though, and stuff, but uh, not necessarily video games, No. <laughs> Okay, well, I'll tell you, you're an excellent writer, and um, I really enjoyed your article, and I'm really excited that you're able to stay up late enough that you can hang out with me tonight. Um, let me ask you something, man. You, you wrote this article, and it's clear that you know you wrote it uh, with a lot of polish and a lot of pizzazz and a lot of a little bit of politicking from the sounds of it. You didn't really kind of turn the heat on in terms of you know how upset you you might or might not be. This is a show, and I'm the kind of guy where you can actually turn the heat on and uh, up a little bit. 
Um, the fact that the schools are opening and closing and opening and closing over the last couple of years, how has it impacted you? I mean, Wyatt, forget about the rest of the world that you've been carrying and writing about, but Wyatt Sharp himself, has it made you better? Is it made you weaker? Is it made you stronger? How has it kind of impacted you, if I can ask? I mean, I think, as you mentioned in kind of your opening remarks there, the majority of, you know, the reasons I I did stuff like this and, and I wrote my article was, um, for the you know for my peers and and for the people around me, not necessarily for me specifically, um, but at the same time, um, you know my personal experience with it has been um, you know obviously it hasn't been you know super ideal for anyone, but you know I've gotten through it and and it's been fine and you know I'm fairly lucky I've still been able to talk with my peers and such over over this uh, duration of time. So, um, and, and I'm, you know, not struggling with, you know, the content I'm being shown. I do fairly well in school. So again, for me personally, it hasn't had, you know, a huge impact besides for, obviously it, it's not super fun. You obviously want to be able to socialize with people, but you know, the main reason I, I wrote this article was for um, just kind of seeing the impact that, it's having on my peers and also just making sure that my peers, um, you know, are, are able to um, still be educated in good ways and still um, be able to have good mental health. Um, because, you know, uh, as I mentioned before, I'm doing fairly well, but just for my peers, I do want to make sure that, you know, for people that aren't in as good a situation as me, that they can still, you know, thrive and, and succeed. Wow, it's hard to believe I'm talking to a 12-year-old man. You're you're put together very well here. I'd love to meet your parents. Um, you know, not that I'm taking it away from you at all, but uh, there's got to be some good background there somewhere. Um, you know, you're, you're talking about your. You know, you, you hit the nail on the head. You know, I'm doing fairly well. You know, I'm a little luckier than most. Are you the guy that your buddies call or your friends call when they're not doing so well? Are you that guy that they can say, hey, you know, I'm really struggling and my parents are making me crazy and my father and mother are yelling at each other? Or, or you know, if, if you have that kind of group of friends where that kind of stuff might be going on, would you be the guy they call? Um, sometimes they'll, you know, FaceTime me. If we were doing online learning and they needed help with a question or something, yeah, they would call me, but for, you know, the most part, my friends are generally able to get through stuff like that on their own that don't usually require too much help. Interesting. So your choice of friends or certainly the cohorts that you've become buddies with um, are typically people like similar to you? Because, I mean, understand, but, you know, why you got to understand, I mean, you're, you're, you're a smart kid. You got your own show. We're going to talk about that in a minute. You're a writer. You're a columnist. I mean, you're, you're, you're definitely way over your skis for a 12-year-old and doing an amazing job of it. But you got to recognize that most kids your age, most young men your age, young people your age, I'm not sure exactly how to address you, but don't be in a hurry to be an adult, by the way. Um, like most people aren't where you are. They don't have the voice that you have. They don't have the listenership that you have. They don't have the, the, the ability to write and have people read what they write. Where are they getting their voice, if not through people like you? To be honest, I think part of the reason I've been able to, you know, have the voice that I've had to be able to speak with the people I've had was because there's so few people in my age demographic that do this, um, you know, type of stuff. And that's almost why my, my age at this point is, you know, a certain advantage, I would say to me, but then, uh, you know, at the same time, it's not um, necessarily, uh, oftentimes people will point out that, you know, the work I do isn't necessarily um, great for my age. It's just good, good in general, which I always do like when people point that out, obviously. Um, so I would say that's part of the reason, um, like mainly in the sense of 
um, you know, if, if my peers and such, you know, um, were interested in politics the way that, um, you know, I, I am and, and interested in kind of the civic engagement aspect of it, um, then I, I do think that, you know, I've been fairly welcomed into kind of um, the kind of journalism space and writing space and interviewing space. So um, I, I would hope that, you know, if any other young person wanted to, to do the same, that they would also be welcomed in, you know, the same respects that I was. What's the Wyatt, what's the Wyatt Sharp show all about? Give me an idea. You're the host of the show. Uh, and how do people get to it if they want to watch it like me? Uh, well, it's basically like um, it's just like a, a show on YouTube. And so it's, I just speak with, you know, various uh, politicians. Um, I've been uh, over the course of, you know, the school closures. I've had um, more time on my hands because I haven't been in school all day. So um, I've been able to be uh, doing it as a daily show. So I've been interviewing people daily. So um, just mainly politicians, journalists, commentators, um, for example, just like going back to if you look at, um, you know, this week, some of the guests that I had on, I had on my show, Nova Scotia Premier Tim Houston. I had Peter Mansbridge on my show. Um, I had Dr. Catherine Smart from the Canadian Medical Association. I had Robert Benzi from the Toronto Star. Jenny Byrne has got read. So I, I just speak to people who have interesting, uh, you know, perspectives on various issues and who have um, different opinions on different issues, who um, are, are willing to, you know, speak with me on my show about kind of the different issues that, that impact, you know, the audience of, of my program. You never reached out to me. <laughs> well, uh, I just, but I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. I'll make you a deal. I'll, br I'll bring my mental health and addiction expertise to your show. And then when I need a, when I need a, uh, a, a, an expert, cause I would call you an expert on being a young person. I think that that's, uh, by the way, you said, you know, you like when people say you write well for, you know, whether you're a 12 year old or not. Um, I think you're right. You're an excellent journalist age aside, but if you were a skier and you're writing about skiing, it would have a lot more credibility. So being a 12 year old writing about the life of a kid in school has huge credibility. So don't be, don't be afraid of that for what it's worth, but I'll trade you off. I'll, I'll do your show if you do mine once in a while, because you're an excellent. Excellent, excellent guest, by the way. Just so you know. Yeah, for sure. I'd be willing to come okay. back on any time. Amazing. Okay, so let's get back to you a little bit. And um, uh, so back to school Monday. Uh, we had an expert on a, a, a segment or so before you, uh, a teacher that was talking about what school is going to look like. She's predicting that you're going to be in for some of the time, out for some of the time, that there's going to be a, a, a surge of, of illness and virus spreading and so on. Um, what are you feeling? Are you feeling like you're happy to go back, whether it's a week or two or three, or you're feeling confident this could last longer? What are the politicians telling you? Well, I mean, they're obviously, you know, politicians speak to, you know, the population and to the people of Ontario through the media. So obviously they're just kind of telling me the same thing they're telling any other media and any other um, average, you know, Ontarian who pays, you know, basic and, and brief attention to, um, to the news. Um, so, I mean, at this point, um, it's kind of just, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, I, I personally am looking forward to getting back to um, school on Monday. Uh, I will say, though, I do hope that, um, you know, the two rapid tests that they've promised to every student and, and teacher, the N95 masks to teachers and educators that they've promised. I do hope that, you know, these measures 
and these um, PPE and, and that all of this stuff will be used as measures to ensure that schools can stay open for you know a longer duration of time than we saw last year and, and the year before that where, you know, it was kind of, as you mentioned, a constant kind of open, close, open, close. But at the same time, right now, we, you know, we are getting uh, children vaccinated. But at the same time, the vaccination rates right now, um, right now, it's only around 48% uh, of children who have received one dose and only 3.2% of children who have received both doses. So, I mean, when you look at the number of fully vaccinated, that can't necessarily be used as um you know, a number who uh, of people who feel comfortable with it because, you know, the interval between the first and second doses hasn't been long enough yet for children to get their uh, second doses. But even when I look at, you know, the number of uh, children have received one dose, that only being 48% versus, so you know, the near, yep. the, yeah, the uh, nearly 48% versus the um, around 90% of, of adults who, uh, and by the way, these are numbers um, that are talking about all of Canada, um, yep. versus the, the 90% of, of people 12 and older, um, even with just one dose, because at this point, the majority of people aged 5 to um, 11 have been able to get their first shot if they want, with, with of course, there always, will, there always will be some issues. So yep. um, I think the education of that will also be key in order to get people back to school. Okay, I've got less than a minute, so I am definitely going to have you back. You're an amazing guest and a wonderful young man. Uh, real quick, what's the future look like for uh, for Wyatt Sharp? What are you, a politician? Uh, uh, you're going to be in my in our business. You're going to be a, a broadcaster, a newscaster. You got less than a minute. Tell me real quick, what's going on? What are you going to be? Um, it's a good question. I think just leaving all paths is open, whether it's as you mentioned, journalist. Um, someone actually, you know, making the decisions, whether it's, you know, perhaps a consultant or something on, you know, political or, or media issues. So there's public affairs, whatever the case may be, I think um, hopefully I'll just do well at whatever I choose to do. Uh, if I was uh, if I was the kind of guy that would put uh, money on somebody, I'd put my whole bank on you, young man. You're quite a quite a quite a quite a young man, quite a, an interesting individual and uh very articulate. You should be very proud of yourself. I'm talking to Wyatt Sharp. He's the host of Wyatt Sharp Show uh, on YouTube. Everybody better uh, get out there and watch it because this kid has stuff to say. And uh, not only is he a child, but he's someone with a great deal of depth about what the world feels. Wyatt Sharp, uh, he was on our show. We'll have him back again. We're going to take the big break now to pay for all of this. We'll be back in a little bit. You can get off the bus. Go get yourself something to eat. Use the bathroom. And we'll be back real soon. Yonabud, 640 Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud, only on 640 Toronto. It's very ethically problematic because what it's going to do is reinforce social inequities and we're going to sanction people for basically doing stupid things. So instead of thinking about how do we incentivize people to do the right thing, we're going to be punishing them for doing the bad thing. And we know very well that that's going to hit the people who are most vulnerable and probably not work either. So it's not going to be effective. Instead, we should be thinking about measures that actually continue to encourage, and that's education, accessibility, reaching out to the different communities and populations so that they continually get the message of why it's important and that vaccination isn't an individual issue. It's a population collective issue. We're in this together. We do it for ourselves, not first, but after our family, our friends and our coworkers. 
And welcome back on to the bus here on the road to recovery. Keep your hands in. Make sure that you're sitting with your seatbelts on and ready to go. This is the adult side of the show. First segment is first hour is generally about kids and kid type stuff. Um, so here's the question. You get a chance to call me right now and get yourself heard on air. 416-870-6400 or 888 Here's the question. Tax the unvaxxed or not? Do you think it's a good idea or a bad idea? Should we be taxing the people who are unvaxxed as it provides a strain on those that are vaccinated, our hospital systems, and so on? Trudeau says uh, strong measures have worked in the past. Uh, he's uh, reviewing the Quebec plan to penalize those with a medical or without a medical exemption, excuse me, with a financial levy with interest. And he's waiting for more details. Uh, we're waiting for more details from the province. Uh, he is waiting for more details. Uh, Trudeau is. We've said incentives and strong measures, whether it's vaccines, passports, whether it's requirements for travelers, a requirement for public services, service workers to be fully vaccinated. We've taken very strong measures in the past, and they've worked in terms of keeping Canadians safe. Quebec announced on Tuesday that it will introduce a financial penalty in the coming weeks for those refusing to get the jab, as the healthcare system there continues to feel the strain of mounting COVID-19 cases. Over 90% of the people in the hospital are unvaccinated. Should they be taxed or not taxed? How do you feel about that? 416-870-6400-888-225. Eight two five five. If you're out of the out of the area here, um, Trudeau also said the province assured the federal government that the key principle of the uh, Canadian Health Act that everyone has equal access to health care without financial or other barriers. Health Minister Jean-Yves Duclos added to the Prime Minister's remarks, noting that the vaccine mandates have proven in, have proven effective. On vaccine mandates, the key word here is benevolence. Both the language and the actions are there and designed to protect people. Duclos echoed his statement and relayed at last week's government press conference that he suspects more stringent vaccine mandates across the country will be a topic of conversation in days and weeks to come. Do you think this makes sense? Do you think taxing people is going to work? 416-870-6400. Or we just let them be. Whatever, you know, if you're vaccinated, you're vaccinated. If you're not, you're not. And, you know, it, it, it all works out the same in the end, perhaps. I'm not sure that's the case. I'm not sure that's how this is going to play itself out. Quebec is uh, actually tabling this bill to tax the unvaccinated, uh, although they're getting a lot of pushback from opposition parties, needless to say. Um, after uh, Premier Francois Legault announced the unprecedented public health measure on Tuesday, opponents called it radical uh, and the idea that would cause more harm than good. I don't see the phones ringing here. I don't know who's on the line. Give us a call here. Uh, 416-870-6400. want to hear from you. This is a chance to speak up. Vaccinated people should or should not, unvaccinated people, excuse me, should or should not be uh, have a fine levied. Um, the premier gave very few specifics on this new measure announced on Tuesday. Uh, they said that it would be a significant financial penalty and that it would not apply to people with medical exemptions. Um, a fee of $100, he said, would be good, would not be good enough. The intention of what he described as a health care contribution is not to hurt vulnerable populations, he said. What we're saying is that those people who choose not to get vaccinated, well, there will be a price to pay because there is an impact on society as a whole in Quebec. There's an impact on the cost of our health care network, he goes on to say. Some doctors have condemned the government's plan, saying that the idea goes against the fundamental values of public health. I don't know. What do you think? I, I, I you know... I don't know how this is going to work out, and I don't know how you force people to get vaccinated. I'm sure there's not a way, frankly, to force people 
to get vaccinated. I'm not sure that's the kind kind of kind of country we want to live in, right? I don't think that's the kind of place we want to live. What do you think? Vaccinated people and unvaccinated people should be treated differently, and in this case, they should be taxed, according to the Quebec Premier. Now, opposition parties are calling on the government to abandon the proposal. Quebec uh, Liberal leader uh, Dominic Anglade also denounced that the financial penalty, saying that the premier has chosen to, vi- to divide and divert with his plan and say that it lacked any public health advice. There's no details. Without answering any questions, legal experts also called into question the constitutionality of such a proposal. Human rights lawyer uh, Julius Gray said it would almost certainly be in violation of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. But depending on how it's argued in court, if someone challenges it, it might be a close call. I think that we're finding that a lot of our civil liberties are call, being called into question now on the, under the guise of an emergency order, under the guise of uh, you know, the fact that the world is falling apart, according to the politicians, which we all know that's not the case. Um, and we're at a pl- place here now where uh, we have to be concerned. I don't believe we're going to live in a country where you're going to be forced to get a needle. I'd like to believe we don't live in such a country where we're going to be forced to get a needle. If that's not something we want to do. What do you think? 416-870-6400. Does it bother you that the majority of the people that are taking up our hospital spaces and consequently as a result of that, the fear of our politicians appear to be, the biggest fear appears to be that the impact of the illnesses and the people ending up in hospital is going to, is going to uh, um, strangle our health care system. Otherwise, everything would be open. We'd be back to work like normal. Restaurants would be relatively normal. Everything would be sort of normal if the hospital system, if people were just testing positive and ending up, you know, staying home with flu-like symptoms. Okay, I think, uh, I think that that's, you know, that just might be where you end up. But if people are ending up in hospital and we're all finding out about it, that seems to be where the drain is on society, and that's what we're talking about here, I guess, with this health tax. We have Fred. He's on the line. He thinks it's non-ethical. Fred, welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. Are you there, Fred? Hey, am I there now? Ah, uh, you're there now. I got you, buddy. Um, gotcha. Anyway, welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. Uh, what do you think about this taxing thing? Does it make sense? Does it make sense? You like the idea? Don't like the idea? What's your opinion? No, no, I, d- I don't agree with the idea, and I don't think it, it makes sense. Like, unless the objective is to raise revenue, which is always the government objective. Look, for the record, I've had the shot. Okay, I had the shot because I want to live a life, so I had the shot. But as a society, if this is going to save lives, why aren't we banning smoking? Well, we're not going to ban smoking, at least not this year. Uh, that would save a hell of a lot more lives than uh, than the shot. This this is not about saving lives. For for that matter, it's not even that effective. Initially, the the vax was going to stop you from getting it all at all, and now it's you know I, I've had two shots. Now I've got to get a third shot, or I'm effectively not vaccinated. So. Yeah, but 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 the like I mean, with with respect, because I've had a lot of people around me in the last month, month and a half that have caught this, caught this virus and have been you know appropriately vaccinated, and for them it hasn't been much of more than I think my, my one of my buddies had you know it was probably one of his worst colds ever, but didn't end up in hospital, didn't even end up going to emerge, you know, so on and so forth. Um, so I, I think that without the without the vaccination, at least that's what I'm going with, right? Without the vaccination, Fred, I think guys like you and me might end up. Uh, maybe more hosp- you know, more likely to be hospitalized or really sick 
than just a little bit sick, right? Um, but you know, the idea of that, the idea of penalizing people, it kind of doesn't smell like the Canada that I remember, does it? What's it feel like for you? No, no, it doesn't. It, it infringes on basic freedoms. And, and I got to say, too, if they, if they were that worried about the hospitals overflowing, we've had two years. Build more. Okay. Or, 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 leave, or, leave the tents up, or leave the tents up in the parking lots that they had that were, you know, highly effective when we hardly even needed to use them. Remember those, those army tents and all of the parking lots in most of the major hospitals? Exactly. Leave them up, exactly. right? Leave them up. They said, they said we were going to get swamped and we didn't get swamped. Now they're like, oh, we got to tax you or we're going to get swamped. Well, I don't believe you now any more than I believed you back then. <laughs> now, if, if you want to take away a basic human freedom, you got to have a really, really good case, a really good case. Not, well, I figure the hospitals will get overwhelmed. I figure is not a good case. Take I figure yeah. to court. No way. So let me ask you something. You, you said you got vaccinated in the, in the outset of, the, of our interview here together. Um, you said you got yeah. vaccinated just because you wanted to live a life. What does that mean? You mean you wanted to be able to go to restaurants and go to places and go to do things. Is that what you meant by live a life or give me an uh, idea? That and other things. I've got, a, I've got a mother who's 91 years old. Uh, if she got it, I didn't want to, to wonder, well, did I give it to her? So I got yeah. the shot. I did want to go to restaurants. Now, I can't go to a restaurant nonetheless, but that's the bill of goods I was sold. Oh, you get the shot, you'll be able to go to a restaurant. Yeah, no, no get the shot, you'll be able to do all these things. And now it's like, yeah. well, we're going we're gonna to tax you if you don't have the shot. But if you do have the shot, you're not going to get any actual benefit out of it. Yeah. So, you know, so somebody, somebody said, you know, what we should do is instead of taxing everybody 100 or $150 for those that don't want to get the shot, give them the 100 and $150. But then the answer would be that everyone who got the shot should still get the tax credit. I mean, they could do it as a tax credit. There's, lot, there's lots of other ways I think that I could incent people if I had the opportunity. Um, I, I'm pretty convincing. I think I could probably convince the masses with some incentive, positive incentive, other than this is what we're telling you to do. I think it's the being told what to do, maybe. That's that's sticking in our craw and, and not in maybe nice maybe, but I think people make their own decisions. And again, smoking is a great example. Do you think we've clearly made the case that smoking is bad for you? I think we've yes. clearly made the case, really clearly, better than we'll ever do for any disease. And what is it? Twelve uh, percent of Canadians still choose that lifestyle. People will choose what they choose. And even if you beat them over the head with a stick, you're not going to change them. I think it's time to start accepting that. And start treating and to stop treating people like second class citizens because you don't agree with their lifestyle choices. I appreciate you joining us tonight, uh, Fred. You're an excellent guest. I hope uh, your mom continues to do well. Uh, you're blessed to have uh, a mom into their, into their 90s. Uh, you sound like a guy who's got his head on your shoulders and not just talking uh, from anger. So I really appreciate you sharing tonight. Uh, I'm talking to Fred, and uh, he doesn't Thank think you, the sir. whole thing's ethical. And frankly, either do I. So I'm kind of on Fred's side. You know, we've got to figure out a better way to get needles into people's arms rather than scaring them or taxing them or infringing on their decisions to make life choices for themselves. When we come back, we're going to talk about infringing on making life choices as it relates to having toxic parents. Going to give you some skills on how you break a relationship or how you heal from a relationship with a toxic parent. It seems to be something I'm hearing a lot more about from people calling and looking for help. We'll be right back. Yonabud, 640 Toronto. Addiction is a serious issue, and we take it seriously. This is Road to Recovery with Yona Bud on 640 Toronto. 
And welcome back. It's now 1021. Do you know where your children are, your loved ones, your animals? Really cold out there. If you don't know where the people are that are in your life that you love, you should probably try to connect with them now. And if you think they're really in trouble, give them give 911 a call and get onto it right away. If you need me at any point through the week and you want to chat or share some information or ask me about something or get some advice, I'm glad to help. You can reach me at 877-777-5808. If you want to send some information about the show to the show for the following week, road to recovery at 640toronto.com. And we'll include your messages and your thoughts and ideas in our production for the following week. You know, breaking a relationship with people in our lives that aren't good for us is difficult. You know, it seems to be difficult even when, you know, it's a, a loved one, a spouse or girlfriend, boyfriend or other, uh, you know, relationships sometimes with work. You have to walk away from work because it can be toxic. Um, and, you know, those relationships are difficult to break, but somehow we manage to do so and for the most part walk away relatively unscathed as difficult as it is. When the toxic relationship is with a family member, when it's with a parent, someone you should be able to rely on to give you good advice and good information and be there for you as need be and be there for you at a time when a child needs a parent without hesitation, without qualification, without making you feel bad about yourself. The concept is being in a relationship with people that make you feel good about yourself, not people who make you feel badly about yourself. It's okay to let go, by the way, of a toxic parent. It's a difficult decision, but it's the one that might be the most important in your life. We're wired to connect as human beings and people who don't deserve to, sometimes even with people who don't deserve to be connected with us. Sometimes, though, the only way to stop the disease spreading to, is to amputate. Sometimes you have to cut it off at the ankle, so to speak. If it doesn't matter how much you love someone, it doesn't matter how much you love some people. They're broken to the point where they'll only keep damaging you from the inside out. You try really hard, but they can't seem to say the nicest things to you. They make you feel bad about yourself. You're not responsible for them or for the state of your relationship with them. You're only under no obligation to keep lining yourself up to be abused, belittled, or shamed or humiliated. It starts with expecting more from yourself and the boundaries necessary to put up so that people in your life don't, don't get to you. Being able to say to them, I'm not doing this right now. I love you, but I got to go. I, I don't want to listen to this right now, Ma. You're not going to say something positive, don't say something, anything at all. If you're not going to say something nice, don't say anything at all. If you're going to pick on me about my choices of this, that, and everything else and ask me why I'm not doing this, that, I don't really want to have a conversation. So we'll talk another time. I love you. I got to go. Boundaries. It's okay. And by the way, it's okay not to. So don't be harsh on yourself if you're staying in this relationship with your family because, frankly, it's how we're wired, as I said earlier. This is what we're used to. So returning to an abusive relationship can set up, trigger, tr can sh trigger your own self-loathing. Why am I doing this? Why aren't I strong enough? How come I don't know better? So you know what? Accept the place that you're in right now. That's what works. Take the pressure off yourself. And then you get to fully experience the, the situation you're in. And then you'll never lose the opportunity to love yourself if you don't stay in touch with what works for you and the choices you make. Staying in a relationship, even if it's not a good relationship, but it's a choice you make, empowers you, gives you the strength to know when and how to leave those relationships. Sometimes we're living in our parents' homes or, you know, their parents are living with us and, you know, it's difficult to separate because either financially we can't do it or, you know, physically we can't do it. They don't have the physical room to move somewhere else. But you got to look at it 
in terms of real honest possibilities. If you're going to stay, know that it's okay to put a boundary between yourself and your parent. Like I said, separate yourself. I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm not going to allow myself to be talked to like this anymore. Don't stay in the relationship unless you can accept that the love you deserve will never come back from these people. That's okay. It's okay to recognize that my mother and father, my mother or my father or both and my brothers and my sisters, who else? It might be a, it might be a, a, a sibling, a grandparent, that it's okay to accept the fact that they just don't have the parts to give you what you need. May not make them that bad people. This is not, I'm sure, not coming from a place of intention. They just don't know any better. They don't understand it any better. They're not able to conduct themselves differently. So be careful of repeating the patterns with other people. With family, it's one thing. You might find that you're drawn to people who have similar similar characteristics than the toxic parents in your life. There's a really good reason for this, and the reason is that we're driven to find an ending to things that remain unresolved because love, warmth, and nurturing are such an important part of our development as children, and it's so elusive for the child of a toxic parent, even as an adult child of a toxic parent. Very normal for those children to be driven to find a resolution to never feeling love secured. So they look to receive it from elsewhere. The things they didn't get from their parents, they find in others. And they're often drawn to people who have similarities to their toxic parents, which means the cycle continues outside of your family. If this is something that's familiar to you, being drawn to the wrong people because they remind you of your toxic parents, one or the other or both, somewhere inside you when you were wanting these Wanting things stay, to stay hidden is the wish that you will get from them what you ain't able to get from your parent. Look at the people in your life and explore the similarities that they have with your parents. Why do they do? Why do, why do they seem similar? Why do they do similar things to my parents? Why do they say similar things to my parents? And what's keeping me here? You have to own your right to love and respect. One of the greatest acts of self-love is, no, is owning your right to being loved and being respected from the people you're close to and to really everyone in your life should be showing at least common decency and respect. Be careful of your own toxic behavior. Toxic behavior is habitual and it will damage the members of your own little family, your own little tribe, the people that you work with, your close cohorts. People who, uh, you, know, you know, making the brave decision that this cycle stops with you is huge. People who do this, who refuse to continue a toxic legacy, these are courageous, heroic People that end up changing the world, not just their world. We're here to build amazing human beings, not to tear them down. If you can't say something nice to somebody or have somebody talk to you in a way that makes you feel good, don't talk to them. You're allowed to make mistakes and you're allowed to do it on your own. Because the more mistakes you make, the more you learn. As long as you don't keep repeating the same ones over and over and over again, you're learning something. It's something you've been able to lead to believe by a parent that you're not supposed to do. It, you're not allowed to make a mistake. Well, make them now. It's never too late. Make plenty of them, lots of them, heaps of them. Give yourself permission to try and miss. Because the only thing to be guilty of is not trying at all. There'll all be all kinds of hit and misses in your life. Write a list and get yourself a rubber band. Write a list of the things Beside each belief, write down the beliefs that you hold back, the things that you hold back. And beside each belief, write down what that belief is costing you in way of your life. Has it cost you relationships, happiness, freedom to, to be just to be who you are, to experiment, to explore? Write it and then rewrite the script based on knowing what you know. 
And if you find that your cat changed that behavior, put a rubber band or a hair band or something on your wrist, and every time you catch yourself thinking of some of the old thoughts, just give the band a little flick. Not enough to hurt yourself, just to pay attention. This will start to train your mind to let go of all those old thoughts that have no place in your life anymore. It's the new you. Find your shoulds that shouldn't be. Find the shoulds. The shoulds are the message we should take in whole from childhood. Should, you should, you should, you should. But the shoulds need to work for you. The shoulds should be what works for you. The shoulds aren't what everyone thinks you should be doing. You need to own this for yourself. Nobody's all good or all bad. Everyone's, you know, but don't be guilted by that. Don't be guilted by the fact that you make mistakes. It's okay. Build yourself up if you're in a toxic relationship with your parents. Find yourself in relationships that make you feel good about you. Healing from toxic parents starts with deciding that life, a lifetime of messages that have left you hollow or scared are wrong because they are. It means opening up a heart that's probably been closed for way too long, allowing yourself to receive love and approval and validation from others. Breaking free of a toxic parent is hard. I know it's really hard, but hard's never been, never meant to be impossible. It's the way that you will be able to live the life that you deserve and feel empowered moving forward in a way that you feel comfortable, that makes sense for you and works for you. When we come back from break, we're going to talk about being burnt out at work and uh, how you get to take that leave from work. We're going to talk to an expert on uh, employment and uh, what it takes to be able to take that break from uh, from work and whether it's something your boss will let you do or not let you do. When we come back, we're going to talk about that kind of stuff and just our total well-being in general. If you're sick and you got a sore throat, they'll let you stay home. But if you're a little depressed or anxious, are you able to do it as well? Anyway, when we come back, we're going to talk about that. Yonabud 640, Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yona Bud only on 640 Toronto. Hey there, welcome back. Thank you for joining us this evening. This is Yona Bud. You are on the Road to Recovery. Just getting close to the end of the show here. Hopefully you've uh, learned something, enjoyed some of the content, and we're so glad to have you with us. 416-870-6400-888-225-8255 if you want to chime in. Send us a message, say hello, and let everybody know you're out there, and uh, maybe... Uh, provide an opinion on what we're talking about. By the end of 2020, about a third of the organizations had seen an increase in disability leaves, said Paula Allen. She's the global leader of research at human and human resources, uh, human resources and technology company, excuse me, LifeWorks. Um, and requests for unpaid leaves of absence had almost doubled. Experts say even more requests for short-term and long-term disability are likely as the pandemic drags on, but that many people are intimidated by the prospect of taking an official leave of absence. Paula Allen's my guest, and she joins us this evening. Hi, Paula. Hello, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for joining us, and a belated uh, Happy New Year. Uh, I'm sorry it was last minute. That was on me. We thought we were on the call this much earlier, but um, you're, of course, our family, so I figured you'd be okay with it. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. Um, people are nervous. I, I'm talking to lots of people that are nervous. I keep telling them that when they're calling, saying, hey, you know, I need some help around my anxiety and my depression and so on, and we talk about their job and going back to work and a lot of people are nervous about calling in saying, I'm not feeling well in my head. They have no problem saying I got a scratchy throat or a runny nose or my tummy hurts. Having a real problem talking about the, the fog that they're feeling um, above their shoulders. Uh, what's your take on all that? Yeah, well, I think this is an unfortunate symptom of where we still are as a society. Very often, you know, people do feel that sense of stigma with respect to mental health that they don't feel otherwise. Not as much as it was before, so we are moving in the right direction. 
uh, but it's still there. I, I really think that the, the, the difference needs to be made by employers, you know, setting an environment where people can be themselves in every respect, including when they're not feeling well. When people call you, when employers are calling you these days, what seems to be the typical conversation around um, around the human support for mental health within their companies? Are, are they looking for ways around it? Are they looking to tackle it for the most part and come up with solutions? Uh, are they looking to figure out kind of what the, the baseline is or what the bare minimum might be for them to provide something that looks and smells like mental health care but not really? What, what's the sense of the people you're talking to? What, what do you get from them? Well, I think that that actually is, I think, a, a good news story. The the conversations around mental health and, and more employers are reaching out wanting to have this conversation in a very positive way. You know, really being very concerned about what's happened over the last couple of years in, in terms of everybody's mental health and well-being. I mean, it's, it's hard to ignore that this has really been uh, a, a big disruption in terms of our, our overall well-being and our anxiety and, and everything that you would expect. And they are concerned. So most of those who call us are really wanting to know how to best support their employees, how to support people in a respectful way, how to deal with the stigma that I had just mentioned before. There's a lot of questions that are questions leading towards positive outcomes, in my view. Uh, but having said that, those are the employers who call us. You know, not everybody really has that understanding yet. So I, I think shows like this is, are very important to make sure that awareness that this is this is something that is on the business agenda is are so important. I know I have people say to me all the time, hey, you know, I've used up my sick pay. Uh, you know, my wife wasn't well. She got COVID. I had to stay home and take care of the kids. Uh, I've used up my sick pay and my vacation pay. I'm not feeling well. Um, I really shouldn't be going to work, but I can't afford to stay home. Um, are companies providing for extended um, sick days, if you will? Because short-term disability, I mean, none of that stuff kicks in unless you're a couple, two, three weeks out, right? So if you're off okay. for five, six, seven days, four, five, six, seven days, you know, that's a might be a week, a cycle in a week's paycheck might be enough to devastate a family not having that income for that week. Uh, how are how are people supposed to get past that? You know, well, this is one of the with well, the big political debates as well. You know, most larger employers do have coverage for that time in one way or another, whether it's sick days that you have as part of your benefits or or whether they discontinue your salary until some other system uh, kicks in. Uh, but there are a lot of employers, particularly smaller employers, you know, you know, five, four em employees, um, those who really are just not, don't have have that 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 focus on benefits, who might not. So this is a difficult situation because I, I do think overall it would benefit employees, even if a smaller employer is able to cover that short period of time. Many can't, and that's where the call from a political level has come from a number of people. Well, I think that's also what's driving people to go to work with, with an illness. I mean, I, I, I can tell you stories that I've heard in the last week, week and a half, where someone mentioned to me that they were at work and they uh, so on and so forth. Came, you know, some one of their coworkers came to the office. Clearly, they were sneezing and they were coughing. And you know, it turned out that two days later, they actually did get tested and they actually did uh, test positive. And then they had to end, uh, end up closing down, you know, half the law firm because of the exposure that this person had. They were working in the mailroom. So um, you know, people are making decisions to come to work not well. 
because they can't afford to stay home. They don't have that extra backup. They don't have a little cushion in the bank. Uh, they don't have what's needed, and they don't qualify for that $300 benefit as low as it is because they may not be off long enough. I mean, it's, you know, even taking the time to go get a PCR test and standing in line and doing all that in a facility uh, can cost you a half a day. People are going to the doctor because it could cost them a half a day. Um, some aren't getting the shot because they can't find the time in the day to go and they can't afford to miss work. We seem to be really missing the, the cushion that we should be providing, I think, as employers uh, to make sure if someone's sick, they can stay home. These are extraordinary times. Um, do, do you think that that's something coming, or are we going to just kind of let these people fall off to the wayside and, and, and keep seeing the, the spread of this virus by people being forced to go to work when they shouldn't? I think we'll get uh, a fair bit more sophisticated about how we deal with this. So I, I think the, the pandemic has really made us aware of how important it is to make sure that if if you are a risk to yourself or someone else, you shouldn't be working. I mean, it's not it's not worth it to actually put yourself or somebody else at risk, and it can have reverberating consequences. So that's something that we should have all known before, but the pandemic really brought it to the forefront. But the other thing is that um, if employers are being creative, you know, sometimes you're not able to go out and you, you might infect someone else. Or even if it's from a mental health point of view, you might, you might not be able to do all of your job, but you might be able to do some of it. And there's all sorts of research that says that, you know, if you can adjust the job, you know, maybe the person doesn't come into the workplace. Maybe they can do something at home. Maybe they're not doing the full job because, you know, you can't have them interface with other people, but they're doing part of the job. That sometimes works well, particularly if it's a long-term issue. But, of course, there's always those situations where you just need to take that time off, and it, it, it does need to be available. And you know what, if, if companies are actually doing the math, I mean, that's not my strength, but if companies are actually doing the math, they're going to come to the conclusion that it's worth paying someone to stay home for a week than, it, than it's going to be to have the office closed down for 10 days because everyone has to go home. Uh, okay. You'd think that that would make sense, right? Um, you know, the, the, the mental health piece, let's get to that for a second. It's, you know, if you're sick with COVID or you got a virus, that's one thing. Um, I have some patients that have called, some people have called, talk about their situation because their doctor, uh, they, they're required to get a doctor's letter around their mental health in order to actually qualify for the short-term disability uh, or even time off based on mental health. And a lot of people can't get in to see someone who's, you know, who's licensed and, and in a position to do a proper uh, assessment diagnosis or write the letter, so to speak. Um, it becomes a problem. I had somebody say to me, I can't get in to see my doctor for three weeks and my employer is saying, if I don't provide a letter in the next 72 hours, I got to come back to work or be or, or face the fact I might be fired. What, how, how is that going to work out for people? Do you think? Well, I, I think number one um, is if you're not able to see you know your doctor, you're not able to get. It's not, it's not just a medical note issue. You're not getting care. You know, and I, and I think that's the thing that kind of you know it gets into my antenna. Um, there are ways you can get help from a mental health point of view. Uh, that would be first and foremost in my mind. Uh, the Ontario government has a program, my ICBT, that, that, that's uh, free, uh, that's accessible, that's online. Uh, you should really contact your doctor and make sure that other arrangements are made if possible, video counseling or video consult, uh, either with them or with a colleague if they can't see you. 
So, you know, hopefully, and it's very hard when you're actually feeling not yourself, when you're feeling drained, uh, but hopefully you have an advocate in your life who can help make sure that you get that care. The second issue is the um, the, the medical note for the, the workplace. And a lot of workplaces are becoming more lenient with respect to that. They're trusting their employees. You know, it's a big thing to come forward and say, I can't work because my health is compromised. And very few people say that, you know, in, in, say that frivolously. And there is some issue with it, doctors spending time on, on writing the notes because they want to spend time on care. So sometimes it's a little bit longer. So have a conversation with your employer. You might be surprised in terms of how you can negotiate what it, what you need in order to manage this period of time. And your employer might have some solutions around getting access to a physician as well. I'm talking to Paula Allen. She's a friend of the show and a wonderful person to chat with about this kind of stuff and my pal. Uh, she's the global leader and, C- and uh, senior vice president at research and total well-being at LifeWorks. Paula, it's always a pleasure. We'll have you back on again and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend and get ready for the snow on Monday. Uh, we're <laughs> talking about whether uh, whether you should be uh, going back to work, even if you're not feeling the, that, that, that great. And you do have some rights under the, uh, under the human rights um, uh, um, act to to actually stay home if you're not well. You don't want to be uh, dealing with your 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 employer that way, but uh, you do have rights. And if you're not well and you need to take the time off, um, there are legal remedies if your your boss or your employer isn't prepared to play along. When we come back from break, we're going to talk about uh, masking. I know you don't want to talk about it, but if we're going to wear one, let's learn how to wear one properly, especially for you and your kids. I see lots of people walking around where the sides of them are you know wide open. Lots of particles can get in there. It's completely useless. If you're going to be uncomfortable, you may as well wear something that's going to do the job. So when we come back, we're going to talk about masking and what that should look like and how you can do maybe a better job of it. And, uh, yeah, send you out there with as much help as possible. Yonabad 640, Toronto. You're listening to Road to Recovery with Yonabad, only on 640 Toronto. And welcome back for the last segment of our show. This is Yona. You're on the Road to Recovery. You're in the studio with myself and Sophia and Natasha and Corey. And, uh, we're glad you could join us tonight. Give me a call here. we got about uh, eight minutes. 416-870-6400. If you're outside of the area, 888-225-8255. Masks, how are you feeling about them? You have your, you know, what's your favorite combination? Well, if you can get the N95 or the KN95 masks, those are the ones that kind of look like a clamshell on your face. They seem to be the best. They're uh, relatively comfortable, actually, in terms of actually wearing one. Because they don't touch your mouth. It's a little closer to your, not as close to your face, um, the actual mask itself a little more room to breathe in there, uh, and they fit nicely around the mouth, chin, and nose area, which is what's critical here, right? So if you're looking to try to find one or buy one, um, you can, you know, get them on Amazon or local stores. Uh, You can find bulk deals on N95 or can they find 95 masks. Uh, But cloth masks, um, they work too, okay? So that most Canadians have accumulated over the last 20, 24, 21 months. I must have 16 of them here. Uh, but there's things you can do because those cloth masks, if worn and, and, and adjusted properly with the earpieces, um, if you wear them with a couple of layers inside, so you can actually buy uh, fabric or, or, or filters for fabric um, masks. So generally fabric masks has two layers of fabric, and then there usually is a pocket to put something in, so that could be a filter. You can buy filters, or you can take some paper towel from home 
and sort of fold it into a filter that fits nicely in your mask um, because you want as many layers as possible. So the layering is very important. Okay, so it's very important that there's multiple layers uh, to filter out the uh, particles in and out. Um, and the second thing is making sure that the sides and the chin and just the whole mask fits tightly. So tightly in terms of making a good seal around your face. So if you have a beard like I do, you have to make sure that your beard isn't impinging on the ability uh, of the uh, mask to open to, to be properly sealed. So perhaps you got to pull it down over your build a beard a little bit tighter. Uh, for those that have bigger beards, there are different kinds of masks available. But there's you know fil filtering out, uh, providing filtration through a cloth mask uh, works very well as all uh, very well as well. Experts uh, such as Peter uh, Juni, the head of Ontario Science Table, said that the single layer cloth masks are no longer considered reasonably effective and reducing transmission amid the spread is, you know, they're not going to do much, right? So the issue here is you have a single layer, ability to filtrate is absolutely minimal. So add something to it. A couple of layers is something else. Some people are wearing two cloth masks. Some people are wearing a cloth mask uh, with, an, uh, with a, a hospital mask underneath. You know, the more layers, the better. Fit is critical. Fit is critical. I can't tell you that enough. They got to make sure that uh, that they, they fit nice and snug, so particles can't get in and out. Uh, surgical masks that cover the nose and the mouth that has a snug fit with a good quality mask uh, on top. Right? They're suggesting that that's not a bad way to go. Uh, disposable surgical style masks are generally easy to source in bulk and can be somewhat effective if a cloth mask is placed over it. Like I said, some people are wearing two hospital style masks. Um, so. You want to make sure that the more layers, the better, and that everything should fit nice and snug around your face, okay? And if you're sitting there going, okay, masks, they're a waste of time, they're useless, I don't think so. I, I, was, I was a naysayer in the beginning of all this, uh, the end of 2019 when this was starting to break. I was talking to, you know, to some people on air at a, at a different network, and I was saying, you know, they're talking about how people, you know, people are walking around, you know, people from other parts of the world where wearing a mask is just a normal thing, an everyday thing. People are walking around, you know, wearing a mask like they're back in their country and, you know, what, blah, blah, blah. And then within days, you know, we were told that everybody should be wearing a mask. So, you know, the, the masking concept makes so much sense to me. You're going to be out and about and there's people coughing and sneezing or potentially spreading something they don't even know that they have. You're best to filter it out the best you can. So good filtration, nice tug fit, snug fit, and washing your hands constantly is the best chance you're going to have at avoiding this thing, vaxxed or unvaxxed, right? And kids, by the way, kids should be wearing masks as well. The conversation should be whether they should be wearing N95 masks. Well, it's hard to fit uh, a kid into an N95 respirator mask because there's not that many out there for children that are that size. But you can look and you can find them. That they'll be need, they'll, The child will need to be adjusting regularly throughout the day. It's not necessarily the right choice. So what you're really looking for is a snug fit for the kid, the same as an adult. And the kids are willing to use something most of the day. So if you have N95s and they don't fit well over their face and they're uncomfortable, they're not going to wear it. So what we suggest is kids wear masks that they like. Some of them have, you know, animal figures on them. Some of them have, uh, you know, uh, uh, video game figures, you know, Figures, colors, balloons, things that make kids feel more comfortable around them, um, and adding filtration. So adding a uh, folded uh, paper towel, a napkin, you know, folded napkin right out of the, out of the box uh, gives you lots of layers of protection. Um, and you got to wash these things, right? If you're using a, re a reusable cloth mask, uh, you need to wash them on a regular basis. So I wash mine every day. 
Uh, if I'm outside, if I'm not outside, I don't wear a mask. I keep inside my, my home. I don't need a mask. When people come here, they're wearing a mask. Uh, I don't usually get close enough to them to have to wear a mask. But outside, I wear a mask. And I wear a version of masks when I'm active. I wear something uh, made by Under Armour. It's an Under Armour sports mask. It's got five layers. Uh, it's not, uh, it doesn't have room for a filtration, but it fits beautifully. It doesn't touch your face. It fits all the way around. It comes in lots of sizes, including kids. They're about 30 bucks, but they last forever. I've got the same one now. Um, I bought three, and they're all, I, I rotate them daily, and they've been great for the last couple of years. So wash them regularly. I just do hand soap uh, and hot water and then just hang them up, and by the morning they're fine. So if you can't get the right mask for your kid, uh, get masks that you think they're going to wear that they're comfortable with. And as a result of that, they're likely to uh, keep it on their face. If they're not comfortable, they're not going to keep it on their face. That's just the way it works, right? They want to make sure that they're wearing them as often as possible. We're in some crazy times, my friends. But it looks like there's going to be some hope on the horizon. Kids are back to school on Monday. That's a good beginning. I'm hoping in the next week or so, restaurants and such will begin to open again. I'll be able to go to the gym like I'm supposed to. I'll be able to go to virtual golf like I signed up for. I seem to sign up for all kinds of things when you can't go and use them. Um, but I'm hoping that that's going to you know, work itself through uh, here in the next week or so. You're an excellent audience. I love you. Thank you so much for your patience and your attention. Uh, we're going to see you again next week. Lots to do. Remember, love the one you're with. Give people around you a hug. Let them know that they're special. Everybody is special. Give them, let them make sure that they know that because that's what we need more than ever today people to know and recognize us for who we are and how special we are. So we'll see you next week. Take care of yourself. Be safe out there. Wear your mask like you're supposed to. And we'll do this again next Saturday night at 9 o'clock on the road to recovery. I'm Yona Bud, 640 Toronto.